0: sources of our planet because of the greed
1: of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality
2: they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think.
3: Hi, and welcome to the... Behind the headlines on the South Radio Network, I'm Joe Quinn, and with me, as usual, my co-hosts this week are Neil Bradley, Ivan, Harsh and Keeley, hello, and Alan Martin. Hi everyone. So, what a week it's been! All sorts of hijinks and craziness in the media and around the world, enough to keep anybody entertained, or enough to drive anybody a bit crazy. If you expected or had any notions that you lived in a sane world where people in positions of authority and influence and stuff would act with some sense of um, logic and reason and from a rational point of view. Well, no, that's not the world we live in. We lived in a very crazy world, a world that seems to be getting crazier and crazier by the minute. And it seems that it's down to, we, the people, people like us to make some sense of it all, because certainly the established Authorities have abdicated completely that responsibility of being responsible, being sensible and talking any sense whatsoever. In fact, it's like a cake fight at a bakery. Uh, specifically, this week we're going to be talking about um, the ongoing saga between Trump and the media, which is, yeah, it's a long, long, ongoing um, a, a story that really, I suppose, it began before he became president. Uh, CNN and the crosshairs, obviously there are pointing the crosshairs at Trump repeatedly for the past several months. Um, and the fallout from, you know, well, we'll talk about the details. Uh, and also then this week, uh, just ended this weekend, the uh, G20, the meeting of 20 of the world's greatest, most fantastic and fabulous and tremendous people, uh, who all got together in Hamburg for a hamburger and some other kinds of food and <laughs> to also, and to also talk to each other about stuff. Uh, but apparently most of the Western press uh, was only interested in one real event at that meeting, which was the momentous, tremendous, uh, shocking, earth-shattering, really, meeting, apparently, according to them, between Trump and Putin, which was just going to be so momentous. And I don't know, it was going to change everything, I suppose. I so we're going to be talking about whether think or not it changed anything.
0: I think it was registered on the Richter scale.
3: It did. Yeah. yeah it Absolutely. was a handshake that shook the world. It was the media... Uh, on the media Richter, Richter scale, at least it, it registered. Uh, in the real world, it was just two dudes shaking hands, I suppose. You know. And <laughs> but um, yeah. So, what about CNN? It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Sorry.
4: Well, it's been <laughs> it's been quite the show for the past couple of weeks because uh, before we get to the to the other earth-shattering event, which was trump's meme tweet um there were a few developments leading up to that of course like you said the battle between trump and the media has been ongoing with uh you know jabs back and forth trump for the most part limiting himself to um you know nasty comments about the media on twitter and in interviews and and press conferences and stuff like that and then of just cnn's uh and it's not just CNN, but most of the mainstream media channels like MSNBC, etc. Uh, they're kind of nonstop negative coverage of everything Trump and uh, every little thing he does. They'll uh, they'll rag on him for it. And so, in the week leading up to the 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 tweet event, CNN was in a lot of hot water because uh, they just kind of like mini scandal after mini scandal. Um, I'll, I don't I won't list them off in chronological order, but among the few that took place was they they ran a was it yeah, it was New York Times that ran that story about was it Scaramucci right the one of Trump's campaign guys and they'd written a story about him um, mm-hmm. um you know ties with uh, with the Russians and had to retract that and so oh that was New York Times right yeah uh, CNN. Well, I think CNN came out with the story
1: first, and then Breitbart News did a a follow-up investigation. Yeah, And the idea was that uh, CNN was saying that a former um, kind of Trump uh, election aide, Anthony Scaramucci, um, was under investigation by the Treasury Department and Senate Intelligence Committee investigation. For ties to a Russian fund, Oh-ho. so um, it turns out that the the meetings that CNN said occurred never actually happened. Uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee wasn't investigating it. The, the nothing story, and um, the Treasury Department looked into it, but uh, found out that the story was nothing—a big fat nothing burger, a, a nothing burger. Uh, so basically, um, CNN put out this this story. Scaramucci uh, lawyered up right away, um, and CNN had to retract the story uh, almost immediately mm-hmm. because they were afraid of a big, fat, whopping lawsuit. Um, so that that's what happened with that.
4: Okay, yeah. So I, I was I was mixing up some events too because I was thinking. The AP and New York Times also retracted stories in the same time period, and those had to do with uh, you know, them making the, the repeated claim that 17 intelligence agencies you know, all agreed that Russia hacked the election. So they had to retract that story because it just wasn't true. But CNN, um, you know, these three journalists resigned. Um, in other words, they were fired for, for this non-story story and then uh, Project Veritas came out again. They, these were the guys that did all those kind of sting operation videos with uh, um, during the election for um, you know voter fraud and all kinds of hijinks. With bad- Podesta's yeah. and stuff, yeah, yeah, back uh, back last year. And so they came out with these videos of uh, Project Veritas, you know, undercover journalists talking to CNN people and uh, you know getting their off-the-record statements on the whole Russia thing. Um, including Van Jones and, you know, some other, you know, um, health producer or something that talked about meetings with, uh, you know, the head honchos and basically that it was all about ratings. Um, The the whole Russia thing was a nothing burger. There was basically nothing to the story, no evidence, but they were going with it. And the official kind of policy line was that we just, you know, we focus, we keep going back to Russia and focusing on Russia and because all because of ratings and money. so basically that just kind of showing what everyone already you know really knows about mainstream media that it's it's not really a uh you know professional journalism it's all it's entertainment it's it's uh well entertainment and propaganda they get a um you know a line that they want to follow and then they just go with it regardless of you know how much truth there is to it and you know they'll they'll find or make up whatever evidence they can to support their story, no matter how dubious it is. And that's pretty much the, you know, the state of journalism and the state of CNN. So Trump is totally, you know, correct with all of his criticisms of CNN. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course he's got an ax to grind too. um, But that doesn't change the fact that he's right. Um, So there was this kind of back and forth going on between that. And that led up to Trump, you know, just, Tweeting this internet meme from his uh, infamous um, appearance on what was it at the time, probably WWE or yeah. WWF, WWF, whatever it was at the time. Yeah. So yeah. him, you know, uh, bashing on McMahon, and uh, so some, you know, some internet troll had created a meme, Teenage. which, <laughs> yeah, which you know, people on the internet tend to do, and with a. Uh, CNN logo on McMahon's face and it's just a few seconds of Trump kind of like pummeling on him while he's on the ground. So CNN's getting, you know, beat up by Trump. And you can't, you can't tell it's Trump at first, just from the back of his head, you can see his hair, but then, you know, got the kind of triumphant war look on, on Trump going away. And it's just like five seconds long, but it's, it's pretty hilarious.
2: Um, And then
3: all the, all the, all the snowflakes at CNN came out and started screaming that this was uh, an incitement to violence against CNN. (laughs) like... What is wrong with those people?
0: No offense to any fans of um, American wrestling, but I never thought I would actually arrive at the point where I enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
3: Or or a few seconds of it anyway.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant (laughs) TV. Good show.
3: Yeah, so CNN goes bonkers and claims this incitement to, to violence, basically, is what it's suggesting that um, Trump should beat up someone that beat up CNN, but, well, he's been doing that pretty effectively anyway. So They had
0: Carl Bernstein on CNN. The guy was practically stuttering as he said that this was – an outrageous, outrageous attack yeah. on the freedom of the press.
3: Yeah, it was shaking. It was the freedom of the press. Freedom of the press to make crap up. You know what I mean? It's it's got to the point where these people don't care anymore. That, uh, that there's no sense of uh, you know among amongst these people at CNN anyway, and anyway and probably most of the other Western media that the, that they have some reputation to defend. Yeah, apparently they don't care. that They have no reputation to defend anymore at all. I mean, going back to just after Trump was inaugurated around that time, there was the, 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 the owner of CNN, the, the CEO, whatever CNN, had a, had a spat with Trump uh, via you know, Twitter or something like that, or, or in some way or other, they, they exchanged kind of insults. And the, and the, the CEO of, of CNN said, warned Trump that he should remember that uh, he, he, i.e. CNN, has the ability to, to make Trump uh, kind of look bad or look good. Uh, across the world via CNN's network, basically. So he right there. He was admitting basically that you know CNN, if it wants, can basically make shit up about you and make you look bad. You know? And so, they believe manipulate global opinion. Right, exactly. So I mean, that, that right there, from the very top of CNN, was admitting that they uh, are absolutely willing and able to to make stuff up and to misinform and disinform uh, the the their, their, their people who, who watch CNN or the public. <clears throat> Um, for for an ulterior agenda, I, they can lie to them. We don't. He basically said, you know, Trump, we we can lie about you if we want. Mm-hmm. This is from the media. So what kind of reputation do they expect these people to have? They have no reputation whatsoever, and that was also made clear by these interviews from um, made by the insider un- undercover uh, recordings by uh, Project Veritas, the guy who runs that, who had these CNN producers basically saying, yeah, it's all just made up you know we're just running with it because we have an agenda because we don't like Trump basically so we just make stuff up uh, and apparently some people still watch CNN I mean okay uh, you can you can still pay attention to the media for for mundane facts about stuff that happened but as far as anything about uh, what's going on in the world about uh, at a higher level you know, in terms of uh, politics and uh, what America or Trump is doing and what Russia is doing, what China is doing. People should have every reason now to just absolutely conclude that um, it's nonsense. I mean, you shouldn't read it, is the bottom line. I mean, why would you read disinformation? Unless you're interested in actually trying to figure out the truth from the lies, whatever the little snippets of truth might be, might be there, it's far better to uh, to find sources of information that, that don't have that agenda to to spin the facts, you know. And, and at least, of course, everybody spins facts in some way or other or filters facts, you know, and and gives their take on it kind of thing. But you're far better to look for sources that, uh, at least in their interpretation of what's going on in the world, that they do so with some level of of kind of rationale and logic and, you know, fair handedness or or impartiality, as much impartiality as, as, as possible. But people like CNN have made it very clear that they are absolutely partial. They're absolutely biased against Trump. So why would you bother? Basically, if it's
1: if it's an important matter, don't go to CNN
3: uh, or the Times for
1: that matter. You're going to be lied to. It's it. It reminds me of this recent retraction that the New York Times had to make on the subject of the 17 uh, Hmm. um, security agencies in the U.S. who were all saying that there was um, some collusion between Russia and Trump, when it was only three: the triumvirate of the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA. Uh, Surprise, surprise. Um, But uh, it's interesting after the election, I think it was Trump had this meeting with uh, the heads of the media, which he kind of convened in his office in uh, Trump Tower. And uh, as the story goes, he gave Jeffrey Zucker, this uh, CNN president, dude, um, a thorough undressing uh, or or kind of redressing, um, redressing about all the uh, it's dressing down. <laughs> he was addressing down. That's the expression, <laughs> whatever it was, it was apparently pretty strong. Uh, so, I mean, he, Jeff, he, get in here and take your clothes off. <laughs> yes. Or, or face the consequences. Um, right. So, but after this recent uh, series of events, Zucker apparently ran between his um, with his tail between his legs to the New York Times, and uh, and did an interview. And uh, basically, he was trying to spin all this and and uh, kind of um, do some damage control here, and said Trump is bullying us. Uh, you know, finally Trump is able to kind of have CNN expose itself as, as very fake news, which is, he's been saying for months. And, uh, suddenly Trump is bullying them, which is the same words that, uh, Kathy Griffin used after she got criticism for doing that stupid photo op, uh, that, that photo yeah. with Trump's severed head, uh, or a, a likeness of it. So, uh, they're, they're all taking for the hills at this
4: point. Well, and it's funny because uh, I read an article just the other day that CNN's ratings and viewership is actually tanking. It's like a you know a steady downward slope over the over the past several months, and that uh, actually like reruns of the Olsen Twins and the Yogi Bear cartoon had more viewers than you know their regular news programming. Get more sense out of those two programs. <laughs> yeah, that's why I wonder about them. The
0: recording of John Bonnefeld, the the producer, who said, "Oh, it's about ratings," and uh, you know our spat with Trump, basically saying is is great for our ratings. I'm not really sure about that. Maybe it is in some respects, but is it really? I mean, TNN is probably shot in the US compared to what it used to have. Now it's interesting that Trump. Among all the jabs he's taken at the media in the last year or so, one of, them that he, one of the shots he had at the New York Times, I think, and NBC, I don't know about CNN. Anyway, it was that their business model is failing. Now, he didn't say any more than that. What strikes me about someone like CNN is that um, ratings are important. and Why? Because then they get advertisers to pay. Okay, And then they get big contracts, usually to secure a market. So CNN's global, so they might be able to take a hit at home and barely keep functioning because they have all these long-term contracts to pipe CNN into hotels for businessmen in Singapore, Australia, cities everywhere, right? And that's about it. It's basically now surviving by the inertia of the brand of CNN. Yeah, but well, as far as actual mass audiences, certainly an American audience.
3: <laughs> well, they have a they have a they have a round the world. I mean, they obviously have uh, international CNN international displayed in all sorts of TV rooms and or not TV rooms and hotel rooms and all that kind of stuff in different places around the world and on people's TVs. But um, I suppose we shouldn't be too um, we shouldn't be should trying not to be in our own bubble about this because I'd say there's a lot of people still watching CNN or. There may be more people watching CNN and other demographics may have shifted to some extent um, because of after this Trump business. Because um, uh, a lot of people, it seems in the, in the world in general and particularly in the West, people are kind of are being pushed or or retreating into camps type of thing. Type of thing. And and subjectivity <clears throat> is at an all time high. <laughs> Not that it's ever been low on this planet, but it's it, uh, as far as human beings are concerned. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's part of part of the genetic makeup, genetic makeup, I suppose. But uh, it seems to be at an all-time high these days, uh, and people, I suppose, would look to CNN to basically tell them what they want to hear. You know, so CNN probably can count on a certain audience who will go to them, either you know, consciously or semi-consciously, in the, in, in the understanding that uh, they're going to be told what they want to believe uh, about Trump and about the world and about how the world works and what's going on. Uh, so it's, that's kind of what the media has really descended. It's always been like that to some extent, but it has descended at this point into uh, it's basically uh, propaganda. Each, each uh, media outlet is a propaganda channel and you pick the one that um, that tells you what you want to hear. So you can feel good about yourself and good about the, the way you see the world and, and believe that that's the way it is. Whereas we try to, always try to uh, take a more as, a, as much as possible and check the pure the situation, you know.
4: Well, one of the funny things about, uh, that happened with, from this Trump tweet was that Jeff Zucker <laughs> responded by basically saying that, um, you know, CNN would not give in and, um, he, again, he brought out the bullying line and that this was an attack on press freedoms and that, um, that CNN would continue to do, um, do what it does. Cause it basically implying that it's doing everything right. And they're just going to continue to, to, to do the job that they're doing, which is, uh, really ridiculous when you look at it because <laughs> any kind of, uh, sane individual um well first of all any sane individual would would laugh because the the trump tweet was actually really funny and so they'd have a little bit of a sense of humor about themselves and maybe even uh you know make a joke of it themselves as opposed Mm -hmm. to taking it so seriously it just it just shows how how like self-important how seriously these people take themselves when there's nothing to take seriously about them it's actually Mm it's kind of it's it's kind of sad sad isn't the right word, it's embarrassing to watch because right. it's like when, when you see a person who who like, you know, a really untalented person for example who thinks they're a good singer or something like that mm-hmm. and, and you see them like on stage or you know, really belting mm-hmm. it out and just be, they're just horrible and they just But can't, they're convinced that they're so good. Yeah, they're convinced that they're so good and they just they can't handle any kind of criticism. They, they, mm-hmm. they might even say, oh, well, you know, those people don't know what they're talking about i yeah. well, it's, it's like, interesting.
0: They're, they're, they're it's breaking
4: interesting. some. Of, they're breaking some of the core uh, tenets
0: of of PR slash propaganda, namely that when you become the news, uh, yes. that's not a good thing, and especially when you retaliate. I mean, the whole story about what they did next
3: mm-hmm.
0: only just it it just made it, yeah. it maybe ten times worse. Well, uh, it's the they, that. One, Yeah, yeah. Who who wants to take?
3: What that they hunted down the guy who yeah. made the tweet. Yeah. So they go and hunt down this guy and find out who he is. A guy on Twitter who is a teenager and he, that made the tweet, and they threaten him that he, they're going to uh, expose him if he doesn't stop doing that stuff and delete the tweet and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, uh, okay, press freedom does that extend to freedom of speech? Is that is that similar, uh, freedom of the press and freedom of speech for the population? Uh, but there here CNN on the one hand, uh, crying about. Um, that, that this tweet was an attack on them, an attack of on the freedom of the press because it made fun of them, and at the same time, then they go in response and attack this guy's freedom of expression or freedom of speech by making the tweet. It just none of it makes any sense whatsoever. You know, it's uh, it's actually hilarious, and it has a real, it has a real flavor of the kind of uh, the social justice warrior uh, theme that's that's been going around. Um, you know, teenagers on campus and stuff, and and. Different, uh, not just teenagers, but the uh, professors and some politicians who have seemed to have internalized this this idea of uh, uh, I should have my way no matter what, and anybody who says that I'm bad for doing anything is is, is attacking me. You know, so they're basically crybabies. You know, they're cowards and crybabies. And uh, it's interesting that CNN, uh, being anti-Trump, has is is, uh, is you know embodying that that kind of ideology of of just being a snowflake as they call it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, it's a a testament to how uh, attuned some of the public is to this dynamic you're describing, Joe, because uh, there was a whole hashtag created about this retaliation that CNN was trying to um, implement against this kid, uh, basically saying, if you don't print an apology and never do what you're doing again, uh, we're going to dox you. We're going to reveal your identity, mm. and um, and we're also going to mention all of the racist and and off color posts you've made previously. So um, people have become aware of of this very vindictive, very narcissistic rage response from CNN and calling right. it for what it is, and it's it you know it's it's revealed to be this petulant uh, child in its reaction to this. Right, really ridiculous, harmless, funny uh, little little uh, gif that this that this guy made,
3: and apparently they even got the wrong guy initially. You know as well, Uh, it was the only guy they got was the wrong guy. It wasn't even the guy who made it, so they they just screwed it up all all different ways, and uh, yeah, but it's it's akin to an adult. It is embarrassing as as uh, as as you were saying, and it's akin to an adult. Uh, you know, being having their feelings hurt by the taunts of like a few preschoolers or something like that, or or some children, you know, uh, and starting to cry because the children are making fun of me. It just, but apparently they're oblivious to that, you know, and and how it uh, how it affects uh, how it impacts the way that they they look to the people, you know. So, but that's subjectivity, right? You don't see anything outside of what you want to see yourself and not only is the media in terms of CNN and other media in the U.S. In engaging in that, but they're encouraging that in the population as well. There, there's a mutual kind of there's a feedback mechanism between CNN and those kind of media organizations and the people that actually uh, that you know promote the same uh, worldview type of thing or the same way of, of, of acting in, in the world, which is you know if I don't get my way, I'm going to cry and complain, and I'm going to be a, a hypocrite, and I don't care. I don't see anything. I don't see anything negative about what I'm doing. Uh, everybody else is wrong and I'm right. It's just uh, yeah, like you said, narcissistic, childish, and very embarrassing.
4: And with every response that they make, they just kind of dig the hole deeper. Dig the hole deeper. Because, like you said, this response in itself was was digging the hole deeper. So this one journalist, he, he you know wrote this article about finding the, you know the guy who made the tweet or made the made the gif, and then. Uh, in this article, there was a section that where he, where they said that, uh, kind of giving the story, so they found out who this guy was, and then um, they were kind of, they weren't very clear on the timeline in this story, but they reached out to him and sent him a mail, a message, an email, and then before he responded, he had basically deleted a bunch of his offensive tweets and posted this, like, apology, and so the... The CNN article acknowledged that, that this guy had apologized and removed the tweets. And then there was the the threatening line, basically, that said that, um, that CNN reserves the right to publish this guy's identity if any of that changes. So, uh, I mean, there's it was very clear what they wrote. I mean, it's right there. Literally, they, they were saying, if this guy changes his behavior— if he you know if he does anything against what what he'd already previously done so that means like a retraction and apology and and ch- saying he changes his behavior if he did anything bad they would release his identity or at least they'd consider that was the implicit threat and it was actually it's explicit it was i mean that's just mm. what they wrote mm. and then um, uh, <laughs> the response to that of course so everyone sees this and and is like oh my god you know CNN's basically blackmailing this guy for for making this gif and CNN's response was just digging the hole even deeper they said oh no that's not what we said what we were saying we just said we didn't have an agreement with him whether to publish his identity or not and that's not what the article said I mean you can read it with your own eyes and with your own comprehension of the English language and that is not what they said and mm-hmm. they doubled down on this and this is actually what the what was what prompted the Jeff Zucker comment that I you know paraphrased earlier about him kind of not giving in and, and just continuing to do what they do so they they see nothing wrong with what they did. They will not admit that they did anything wrong. They won't even admit that it was Im, that it was um, you know, um not precisely phrased. You know, they wouldn't even get behind that as an excuse. They were just saying that they said something completely opposite or completely mm-hmm. different than what they actually did say. Which yep. is it's, uh like how can amazing. you even respond to that? It's <clears throat> amazing it's, level of yeah.
3: Making crap up and I'm running with it, you know? <laughs> their, their, rea-
0: their reaction and their behavior is um, it's very instructive. You know, they whine about freedom of the press as if they don't mind having an assortment of different views out there. No, no, no. Their view is the view. You know, when it comes to, uh, they would never call this subjectivity. The, the way they see the world is how it is. And they're, they're sort of um, dogmatic mm-hmm. and narcissistic. The behavior over it is, is testament to just how um,
4: Bolshevik they are in, in how they see the world. Mm-hmm. Um well, and the very and fact that, that they can say whatever they want and they have been saying whatever they want. Mm-hmm. I mean, how's that for a free press? They get away with everything. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. They've been getting
1: away with everything for so long and and just upping the ante with the lies that now that they've finally been called out on things, uh, one after the next after the next, uh, they have no kind of uh, It's it, – they're like a character-disturbed person. They're, they have no integrity to fall back on, really. Everything is a uh, deflection and, and a blame on the person who is uh, calling them out on something. So, right.
3: Well, it's, a part, uh, it's, yeah. it's kind of like a part of American exceptionalism, I suppose, as well. The American media was the paragon of, of virtue and truth for, for so long, supposedly, and they got used to it, right? So um, anybody ever calling them out or, or questioning their, their um, integrity or... Truthfulness is just something they're not used to, and they don't know what to deal with it. Don't know how to deal with it. Uh, and similar in a certain sense to to American, what the American political establishment has been going through over the past couple of years, you know, as well in the sense that uh, they're having yeah. a really hard time adjusting to a kind of a, a reality where they don't get their way all the time, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. yeah. In that
1: respect, CNN is a kind of a an, an interesting reflection of the U.S. deep state. For instance, right, absolutely, Uh, yeah, just spinning narratives to cover their tracks and and digging themselves deeper and deeper. Of Um, course,
3: and 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 the response to this tweet episode was, of course, that was totally foreseeable. But it's a testimony to the ridiculous, you know, the 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 ridiculous levels of subjectivity and and um, narcissism amongst the CNN people is that uh, they didn't realize that by trying to threaten or intimidate this guy who made the the, the, the gif of, of Trump bashing CNN that mm-hmm. the response from the Twitter sphere would be to make hundreds of similar uh, uh, gifs, um, you know, uh, showing Trump uh, beating up uh, CNN and a bunch of the other media, media organizations. So, uh, I mean, geez, we'll just, you know, shoot yourself in both feet while you're at it, you know, and then stick them in your mouth or something, it's just ridiculous, you know?
4: Well, I think, let, let's bring this back to to Trump, because um, you know, it, it's very common in not only in the media, but, well, I'll just say, it's common in the media, we'll leave it at that, to present Trump as kind of this bumbling idiot, um, you know, with fat fingers on, on Twitter, writing nonsense mm. at three in the morning. Yeah. Um, and yet, what these, what the media doesn't seem to realize is that trump actually really knows what he's doing on twitter Mm -hmm. and and he even kind of spelled it out a few days ago well it was actually right before he posted this uh this meme he wrote something i'll paraphrase again he wrote basically yeah my tweets aren't or aren't presidential they're like new presidential or something um, basically acknowledging that yeah he doesn't he's not presidential in the you know traditional sense but this is kind of he's kind of creating a new presidential by doing this which I mean it's pretty much true um, and he's he said it before that Twitter reaches a bunch you know a lot of people quickly and it, it allows him to bypass uh, the mainstream media. The media and he's he's very good at tweets like <laughs> I mean he he knows what he's doing on Twitter this is like a what 71 year old like, grandpa, who is like, more effective on Twitter than most, you know, like, 15-year-olds who grew up on it. Um, so there's something to be said about that. And then the fact that he posts this tweet, and just look at what the response has been since then. I mean, mm-hmm. the, like, anyone anyone from CNN or any of the mainstream media, like, before this had happened, you know, if you'd asked them, oh, what would happen if Trump would do this? You know, they would have given a long response about how it would have been, like, you know, the death of his pre- presidency or something and it would just confirm that he's an idiot when it has totally the opposite effect, which Trump probably knows. I mean, he – I mean, he, you'd, you'd think – well, I, I'd, I'd guess that he had some idea of the fallout for this. He'd, he'd know that the he, – he knows that uh, – or he would know that CNN would respect uh, – sorry, would respond in this totally over-the-top manner and – more people would just, you know, retweet his tweet and and laugh at it and see what, uh, you know, a pile of right. BS CNN is. I mean, like you yeah. said, it's just an obvious, it's an obvious chain of events that mm. you get hundreds more of these memes on on Twitter.
3: So, right. but CNN I mean, doesn't know how the internet works, apparently,
4: right? And they don't know that no one care, no one even knows or cares who creates these memes. I mean, that's the thing. Like they're inherently like anonymous. You just find them right. on the internet and they're funny. No one cares who made who makes these things, and yet they. All, you know, right away they want okay. Let's find who made this. They find the guy, mm. and then you. Know, what's her name? I don't know if it was like Mika, Mika Brzezinski, or whoever it is mm-hmm. on, yeah. on on CNN. Might not have been her, but saying, "Oh, it's just extraordinary that CNN managed to find out the name of this guy." Well, no, it's not. I mean, it, no one even cares. Like, it's just some guy that made an internet meme. There's mm. millions of those out there. Like, who cares? And these people are like. Again, taking themselves so seriously, patting themselves on the back for doing such great investigative journalism when nobody cares because nobody should care.
0: Right. There's probably a good um, Lavrovsky quote for this, isn't there, Harrison? <laughs> something about how the pathocracy never understands, no matter how much they try to tighten the control system, there are always those some who just manage to slither away. You know, or something to do. Yeah. I think he, he ref- makes a reference to. Um, ordinary people take, making fun yeah, of of the system mm-hmm. and, and their total incomprehension of, what, what are you laughing at? You can't laugh at me. I'm big and scary. Booga, mm-hmm. booga, booga.
3: Yeah, and there's a quote, apparently someone in the chat room, Parallax in the chat room posted a quote from uh, a quote of a tweet by Trump uh, where he said, if the press would cover me accurately, honorably I would have far less reason to tweet. Mm-hmm. Touche. Uh, and it does say something about trump, uh, yeah J-
1: just his level of engagement um, you know th- there's been over the years a kind of a uh, just this kind of distance between presidents and 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 people, and mm. Trump is speaking directly to uh to people in real time mm-hmm. um, and there is substance to a lot of what he says uh he he 's calling institutions out for what they 're doing. Uh, so yes, is it is it unpresidential, quote unquote? Yeah, but uh, this is this is what he has to resort to in order to defend himself and gain an inch of uh, right. autonomy and and
3: breathing space in order to do anything. Right, and the amount of anti-Trump tweets or or memes out there have been out there in, over the past you know f- five or six months since being president are just astronomical. Like the amount of ridiculing he has received uh it's just it's crazy and you know so and cnn crafts its pants when it gets won all's fair in love and twitter yeah and on that kind of um unpresidential thing that's something we've talked about before but i mean these people these anti-trump these not my president trump people are uh, are just you know it's pretty sad they're 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 so kind of superficial and clueless and caught inside their own bubble, whatever kind of bubble they live in. They, um, they take, they take form over substance, you know? They were, they never over eight years of Obama because Obama was smooth and suave and sophisticated and said all the right things, right? So he was, he was presidential. No problem with him whatsoever. They're not interested in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, or what's going on behind the scenes or even in on, on, on American foreign policy under him, you know, and uh, him and Clinton. Uh, they don't care. They don't even know. If you asked them what his foreign policy was or what Clinton did as, as Secretary of State, they probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't be able to tell you. All they cared about was that he danced with Ellen DeGeneres and he was so cool and well-spoken and he looks like president and he sounds like a president. And now, their main problem with Trump, their horror at Trump is that he's unpresidential. Is that he's crass and rude and doesn't look like a president? That's all those people want. I mean, so when you're dealing with people like that who are at that level, so kind of fundamentally disinterested in in what's really going on and in the world, well, then those people's opinions don't really count, you know, um, in any real way. But you understand why Trump has to uh, has to kind of fight back against it, you know, because it's well, it's personal at the end of the day. I mean, you can't blame anyone for for. Uh, fighting back against the kind of smear, smear tactics that that are used against him, you know, and, and they're trying to, you know, so I suppose they're trying to pull other people into that kind of subjective bubble of, you know, just hate Trump because he's not, he's not presidential. Forget about what he does or doesn't do. Um, And of course it hasn't been, they haven't left it at just that. Of course, there's been a whole, this massive campaign that began before he was actually inaugurated, uh, where, they try to drive a wedge between uh, him and the russians you know at, to stop at all costs any kind of uh, any reproachment or any normalizing of relationships between uh, between russia and and the us under trump um but uh, maybe that takes us into the g20 this week because mm-hmm. the signs coming out of the g20 yeah
0: just mm-hmm. before just before we go there um i think it's interesting that this smackdown happened at the same time that uh there were these attractions um in new york times cnn i think as well that harrison mentioned earlier where there was some confusion over whether or not there were 17 u.s intelligence agencies i.e. all of them i think or just three who had uh signed this letter saying blah blah we we think russia was behind hacking our elections well whether it was three or 17 It's been six months since that was announced, and no one in the so-called intelligence community objected to their name being on this letter. But now, suddenly, this past week, it's become apparently, in quotes, objective fact. Oh, no, there were actually only ever three, the NSA, the CIA, and the FBI, I think. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit weird, isn't it? I mean, no one objected to it before, but this week it became a problem, And then the next ring behind the uh, outside, the next concentric circle in U.S. power, after the intelligence agencies, the big media has to start issuing retractions. So I wonder, it's when someone said earlier, I think it was Harrison uh, uh, Landro, that that Trump knows what he's doing. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. He knows that he's. It was a smackdown against the intel people. So I think there's there's something to do with the timing of these, uh, of the issue of who exactly in the so-called Intel community was backing away from their stance and this bat with CNN. Mm. Yeah. I, I, think, I think Trump first got some space somehow in the background, something went on in the background. And then when he had a bit of space, he took a swing at CNN, maybe. Yeah.
4: Well, I don't. I don't have any, anything really else to comment on that. Just uh, on the subject of timing, it also just came right before the G20, and when you tie all these things together, um, of course, this this was the. By that time, it was known that Trump would have his meeting with Putin, the first meeting, um, you know, since he was inaugurated, and <clears throat> so I thought that timing was interesting too. That this whole CNN thing kind of blows up right before. Uh, the Trump-Putin meeting, because of course, well, it has played out. But um, y- you would have expected that this meeting with Trump would get a, a lot of negative press attention. Um, you know, just just the image of Putin and Trump, you know, sitting together and smiling and shaking hands would be enough to to just uh, you know set off probably the, the vast majority of these kind of CNN types into you know fits of moral outrage um so i think it kind of had a might have had an effect on that as well but let's get into the to the g20 um maybe just one thing before we get really into it that ties into something you were saying joe about um about trump is that one of the things that putin just said uh, i think it was yesterday um he said that basically do you have the quote yeah, i do yeah uh, do you want me to read it or yeah, read that out
1: okay So the direct quote from Putin is, as as regards personal relations, I believe that they have been established. This is how I see it. Mr. Trump's television image is very different from the real person. He is a very down-to-earth and direct person, and he has an absolutely adequate attitude toward the person he is talking with. He analyzes things pretty fast and answers the questions he is asked, or new ones that arise in the course of the discussion. So, I think that if we build our relations in the vein of our yesterday's meeting, there are good reasons to believe that we will be able to revive, at least partially, the level of interaction that we need.
4: So, I thought that was a, that was interesting for, for a couple of reasons. First, um, for anyone that's not just completely brainwashed like... Um, like Western media like for like internationally I'm thinking about people that aren't kind of totally under the sway of the, the Western kind of propaganda machine. Um, I think there's a lot of respect for Putin across the world um, despite the you know the American um, kind of party line and to, and regardless of what a lot of people think about Putin, they still acknowledge that he's a, um, a decent statesman mm-hmm. and if, if not decent then kind of exemplary. And to have, to have him saying something like this, that there's actually a, you know, a real kind of, um, a real statesman Trump behind the surface that you see on TV, like behind the image that he presents of himself, that is, you know, that is respectful to the person he's talking to, can answer questions that's competent, that's down to earth and direct, you know, that isn't, that doesn't try to BS you. Um, that's kind of a glowing compliment. And, um, that again that goes against the the western mainstream narrative of trump just being this bumbling buffoon who has no idea what he's doing um which so well i'll just leave that at, at that yeah it, it was well, good
0: pr for trump in short
4: yeah yeah
1: absolutely
3: yeah and that's why he i mean he seemed to he seemed to have a very uh, positive um trump had a positive um as much as Putin had in that quote you just gave, had a, had a positive take on on the meeting Trump. Uh, the things he said uh, during the meeting you know, that was that were heard, and or he said afterwards, were all very uh, kind of positive about about Putin as well. So it was a real kind of uh, bit of a bit of a bromance going on there, you know. Uh, I'm sure to the, <laughs> the shock of the uh, of of the whole world, you know, of the Western media and CNN in particular, you know, definitely didn't like it, but. Um, you know, it's <clears throat> that's what America really needs, and I'm not saying Trump is by any stretch of the imagination is, is, is the kind of best person for uh, for America right now, or whatever. But, um, certainly given the alternatives, uh, more Obama or more someone else in the same line as Obama, that was that was scheduled to be a that would have been a complete disaster because, I mean, if you, you notice the attitude that, uh, that Obama took towards and uh, Trump or took towards Putin over the past number of years before the, at the end of his presidency, it was just just this kind of aloof attitude. Obama, Obama played the role of president and mm-hmm. and basically did not really have any interest in in, in being his own man and being ac- actually being the president in any real way. He was the president in appearance and that's all he did really, you know. Uh, but he was not interested in actually. Uh, assuming the powers of the president, presidency to himself and charting his own course, and part of that, uh, part of doing that would have been to realise that America needs good relations with Russia. Obama did, uh, did nothing to restore; in fact, did a lot to um, to hinder relations with uh, with Russia. Um, and Trump is now is now you know, taking a practical approach to the whole situation. And in, in the kind of world we live in, and given the crappy options that we tend to have. Uh, for, for for setting the world to rights or making the world a better place, um, it seems that Trump, despite what a lot of people think, Trump is actually was actually the best that America could could have had uh, at that point in time, and because he does seem to be being a bit more practical about about world affairs, you know, and talking Turkey and stuff, and that means he's not presidential because he talks Turkey, he talks in a in a more kind of a colloquial kind of way and that's just horrifying to, to a lot of people so yeah but it's still i mean i'm not i'm not putting a, a totally positive spin on it because in terms of um uh what america's intentions are in syria and all that kind of stuff which is apparently what uh, took up the bulk of the meeting between putin and trump in terms of what they discussed they spent a lot of time discussing syria and uh and tillerson's the uh, secretary of state uh, his uh, comments on on the result of that meeting were basically were, were kind of interesting as well, in that uh, he more or less said um, that maybe in terms of Syria, maybe the way Russia were doing things was uh, Russia is doing things in Syria are is the right way, and maybe mm-hmm. America has been doing things the wrong way in Syria. Um,
1: it's so it's really an incredible admission, isn't it? Mm. uh and and i'm sure it's knocked some people back on their heels a little um but you know you, you have to remember trump ran on better relations with russia you know right. he said why not uh if we can have a if we can establish something very reasonable uh so so you know for months he's trying to i guess have a meeting with putin Um, Lavrov had had, uh, met with Tillerson, and and Tillerson had met with uh, Putin previously. This is his big opportunity at the sidelines of the G20. And and he took full advantage of it. Uh, You know, you see it in his handshake. He he not only shook uh, Putin's hand, but he he grabbed his forearm uh, as a kind of an expression of, look, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out to you with both hands, quite literally um so this was an opportunity save me vlad <laughs> yes <laughs> the deep state is on my ass excuse i used the language i heard
4: what you did for erdogan i might need the i might need mm-hmm. the same level of support right. uh, how did you get rid of those oligarchs <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so um, well just to continue on that point uh you know the, the what was supposed to be a half hour Um, discussion turned into two hours and 15 minutes or so as we've, as we've read a dozen times in the past couple of days, uh, which, which speaks volumes about the fact that these two guys had a lot to communicate with one another and they did. And they were able to, yes, uh, in attendance was Lavrov and Tillerson and, and I think some, uh, translators and that's it. Uh, Trump didn't have any of his neocon hangers on. Uh, in attendance i don't think
4: and that's interesting too because in the lead up to this there were all kinds of uh like media reports about this uh i think she's head of like the the russia division you know of the the national security council or something fiona hill she's a Brookings institute uh kind of russia hawk she wrote a biography kind of like a psychological biography of putin um like putin um operative in the in the kremlin or something like that Mm -hmm. um what you'd expect from a you know an American writer on Putin basically saying he's this Machiavellian evil guy but so there was there were all kinds of articles about how how um, like all kinds of people in the White House were pushing for Fiona Hill to to be in this meeting and that Trump should let her in because he needs someone who knows Russia to be there and it was like almost like sounding like a sure thing that she'd be in in there in the meeting. And she wasn't there in the meeting. I mean, she was in Hamburg. She was there with him, but she didn't get to attend. It was just, uh, you know, Trump and Tillerson, which was, I found interesting.
2: Yeah.
0: She's never met Putin, but she, she knows exactly how he thinks. So she wrote yeah. a book on his psychological right. profile, right? Um, Trump, for his part, said the meeting was tremendous and that it's time to move forward in working constructively with Russia which is kind of where the the rubber hits the road here. This is what they've spent the last 10 months trying to prevent, block, thwart in any way possible. The cat's out of the bag now they've met. That's Trump's statement. They will continue to try to suppress any movement in that direction. But you notice that in those two hours, they came to, at least they advertised, some form of a concrete decision with this ceasefire ceasefire, an agreement to, you know, not shoot at each other in Syria. No. So they're a, trying to, I think there will there, hopefully be some impetus behind this now to
3: well, supposedly change they, the facts on the ground. Supposedly they actually agreed a ceasefire in southwestern Syria, as in no more... As uh, of today, right? Right, no more coalition or Russian airstrikes, or by that, uh, that implication, by that implication no more Syrian airstrikes. And what that actually means and what they're what they're planning on, on doing under the under that ceasefire is uh, is yet to be seen. But, I mean, you know, like Tillerson also said that, you know, that there were a lot of, uh, that they basically, Russia and the US want exactly the same thing in Syria. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't say what that was, but I suppose he meant that it was the defeat of the jihadis. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can't necessarily take that um, at face value, but he said it, and he said that they simply disagree or they have differences about how to go about doing it. Of course that's all speaking around a topic of, you know, what uh, what both Russia and the US are doing in Syria and what they what they're trying through with the, the troops on the ground, uh and the Air Force of, of Russia and the Air Force of so the, the Coalition Air Force and stuff, what are they actually trying really trying to achieve in, in Syria and what their what their goals are, you know, and how could uh the US and Russia uh converge on some kind of a a mutually beneficial or mutually acceptable uh, way forward to, you know, put an end to the the conflict in Syria, and it's hard to hard to see um, how that would happen in the sense that if if Russia is as it has been advocating and insisting on uh, the territorial kind of integrity of Syria all along, and and I assume maintains that stance at this point. Um, while the US is pretty clearly and has been for you know a year or more, uh, actively and in, um, in and in a very actively and repeatedly supporting the um, the Kurds or this the Syrian the Free Syrian Army or whatever they're called now basically, but but it's mostly at this point. Uh, they're giving support to the Kurds, the Syrian Democratic Forces. So, that's right. Got to keep up
0: with your acronyms, though.
3: SDF, FDS, <laughs> whatever. Uh, <coughs> which is basically the Kurds, largely, and their goal being, it seems, the only reason they would be supporting the Kurds in that way is because they want to use the potential for uh, Kurdistan, the establishment of a Kurdistan, a Syrian Kurdistan in the north of Syria. Um, as leverage or that's what they want to achieve outright in order to effectively divide Syria um, into at least two two parts and in that way and then they would control a new uh, Syrian Kurdistan and um, but there's there's a lot of problems with that with that situation. Obviously, uh, one of the major ones being that obviously the, the Syrian government doesn't want that to happen. Is interested in the division of its country of 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 Syria, and the Turks are pretty much dead set against it as well because the Turks do not want uh, a Kurdistan in the north of Syria right on the on the Turkish border because that would threaten you know uh, Turkey because there's a lot of Kurds in Turkey on, along the kind of southern uh, south uh, Eastern borders that would want to then join up, and you could even get a, a Kurdistan joining up in the north of Iraq, and the Kurds in Iraq. I mean, these people, the Kurds, have been promised a homeland for like uh, since the First World War, basically. Um, so they have this historical uh, claim to it, and the US seems to be using that as justification to to divide up or to argue for the division. Ultimately, we'll probably see that coming out at some point: the division of, of Syria, the, the cutting off of the northern part of Syria. But it's yeah, it's difficult to see how that <clears throat> would go smoothly. And of course, the point I think the reason for <clears throat> that is why the U.S. would want to support such a thing because they're certainly not doing it on humanitarian grounds or some kind of uh, pro-Kurd, uh, long-standing pro-Kurd sentiment among the U.S. government or, something, or among the Trump in the Trump government, you know, uh, or even in the deep state um, in the U.S. It's simply to. It seems to be that the point of that is to. Uh, Create a kind of a new country that the US would control uh, as a kind of block to um, to Iran, primarily to the emergence of Iran and emergence of Iran in terms of it being a, a potentially a very powerful, maybe the, the biggest and the most powerful player in the Middle East in terms of its resources and all of that kind of stuff. So um, mm. that's right. a, that's their main issue because I mean they, they f- I think they fear this the US deep state and the the, the kind of imperialists in the US who, who realize that uh or they fear the vision they see they have of the future the horrible nightmarish vision they have of the future is is iran rising and being aligned with russia and even iraq to some extent falling into the uh, falling into that sphere of influence of of iran and russia and syria obviously already being in it Uh, if you have that kind of a combination and even turkey then uh you know seeing the light and realizing it has to op- it has to cooperate with with iran and syria and iraq and turkey or, and, and russia. russia uh if that were to happen if you had that kind of uh this group of countries all kind of working together with uh, with the kind of military might of russia the the energy resource might of of uh, both of iran and iraq and to some extent syria i mean that would be kind of the end of uh, us dominance in the middle east And it would also probably be the end of uh, Saudi Arabia, if Saudi Arabia didn't see the light and kind of throw a slot in with that group. So basically, you are talking here about a a sea change in in who rules the Middle East or the potential for that to happen. And it's really, it seems a very, uh, fairly imminent in that sense. Or if they don't, the US realizes that if it doesn't do something, to stop it right now. Hence Uh, the sudden crisis with Qatar. Right. And Qatar, obviously, the reason the Qatari crisis came up was because, Qatar was uh, doing, was was looking uh, positively at uh, establishing or had been establishing ties with uh, Iran over their, their mutual gas field in the Persian Gulf, and also Qatar has been, you know, like I mentioned, I think uh, some time previously that uh, Qatar recently bought twenty percent or twenty percent stake in, in Russian national national gas uh, company Gazprom. So, yeah, it was all going in the wrong direction for them, uh, certainly yeah. for the Saudi Arabia, the Saudis, uh, as, as, as the kind of top dog or historically the top dog in the Middle East, in line with America, kind of propping up America with the petrodollar and all that kind of stuff. Uh, <clears throat> so it's very dangerous from, it's almost like an existential crisis really for, yeah. for the Americans and for, for, and, and you can understand why to a certain extent because they're, of, lo- they're America, losing allies right and america would suffer badly it would really it would it would lose its, it's it would be knocked off its perch effectively in, in a relatively short period of time and it could be catastrophic and the danger of course is that if that were to happen it could it could be a domino effect and you would have a serious problem for the entire world if america falls and falls too suddenly or whatever right then everybody's going to suffer and this is one of the reasons that uh, behind the scenes while it's never said when they talk about American interests and why the Americans have always kind of pushed for this dominance around the world and stuff, is because they realize they've set themselves up into this position where if we fall then everybody suffers or they they maybe exaggerate a bit to convince themselves um, of just how important they are and how much... If it's not us, it's anarchy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If it's not us, it's going to be it's going to be bad for everybody. Therefore, we have to be the leading light in the world. We have to continue to, you know, we've already got 700 military bases around the world. We're not just going to close them all up and go home. You know what I mean? I mean, and that's not just because you know we want to keep them, but but I mean that's a, that's an established order. If you pull down an established order, then it's you know chaos ensues. So these are all the the justifications they have, the rationales they have for for maintaining uh, the current. World order and, and, and continuing to do what they do, you know, um. But then along comes Trump, and he's kind of thinking, well, you know, we're spending a lot of money around the world, and he's starting to think of the American. He's kind of more American centric, uh, if you know what I mean. He, he's a bit more isolationist in that way. I think about America as a country, and he's. It's not that he's against all the stuff America gets from around the world, but he wants to. He's looking at that business plan, effectively, of America ruling the world, and saying, "What's our? What's our?" uh outlay cost benefit analysis yeah what what are we paying out and what are we getting back yeah right that's why about
0: iraq he was like six trillion out what did we get we didn't even take the oil (laughs) right exactly so he's
3: like he wants to be more practical about it and and say listen we need to cut costs all around the place here you know we and, and that led people to think isolationism oh my god america's going away merkel and all the europeans all kind of got a bit scared and uh, afraid that they were going to be left behind and that has emboldened the the, the European um, heads of state now to say, the EU leaders to say well, you know, let's uh, if we can't rely on America anymore then we got to go it alone We got to. so there, it's all very chaotic at this point it's a breaking down to a certain extent or the potential for a, the intimations of a breaking down of an old order and everybody's kind of it's like musical chairs everybody's running around wondering where they're in, if they're going to end up with a chair or trying to make sure that they end up with a chair when the music stops, you know Um, so it's a bit chaotic, yeah. Uh, did you see Macron though at the, uh, yes, (laughs) Macron at the,
0: he says something similar in his statement after meeting Putin. He He said, we can move to a new phase in Russia-France relations.
3: Well, that's natural. You know, as they move away from America, as these EU leaders start to get afraid that America is going to leave them in the lurch under Trump, then they'll naturally start to look and, and make nice, make, you know, smiley faces and, and make eyes at, at Russia and, and look west basically or look further into the Eurasian continent. But Macron Macron's there and he arrives. You probably saw this. Macron arrives uh for his meeting with Putin and he's late and he apologises with his smiley face and his big French nose. He uh he's he's going, sorry, uh I'm sorry I'm late. Um uh, I just had to in this word for word what he said, he said, I just had to sort a few things out with the climate. <laughs> um, meaning that he was in discussions with someone <clears throat> about oh, on the Paris Accords and 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 you know getting the deets to stick on some um, on some climate agreement or something like that or whatever. That's what yeah. he, that, that's what he said. He said, well, no, "I'm I, sorry." Actually,
1: I, had, I, I think what happened was he he came in a little late and Putin said that to him.
3: No, 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 no. no, no. no, no, no. Macron Macron, said comes, Macron comes in and says, "I'm sorry, uh, I was late, uh, but I had to resolve some things with the climate." uh just Back there in the room with some of the guys, you know, we were sorting out the climate. Basically, that was his—that was what he was suggesting. And uh, okay. Putin, Putin looked at him and said, "Okay, uh, that's okay." And Putin's response was, "Well, I hope the climate will be better now that you've had this discussion." Oh yes. <laughs> and <laughs> sorry. That's with right. a kind of with a kind of smile. And Macron's <laughs> there, kind of laughing and smiling. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure it will. It's almost like Macron just was clueless about the. Dig, I,
0: think, about, I think it went over his head about the dig that he just had. You know, Putin <laughs> just
3: like basically ridiculed him them. Well, I hope the wildfires in California will now basically go out. Go out <laughs> after you've had that discussion, basically, you know. But then he, and just to make the point, then he put on a serious face and followed it up. The very next thing Putin said following that was actually, um, we don't know, we we don't know what the cause of climate change is. Macron's mm-hmm. looking at him, going, <laughs> yeah, you know, with this big stupid grin in his face, like as if he doesn't know what's what's yeah. what's happening, you know. He, but he continued on to say, but, you know, as you know, we also support uh, the Paris Accords and we're willing to, you know, do whatever we can to help and that kind of thing. But he just, in two, in two comments, he just ridiculed Macron and then told him that the whole premise of yes. what Macron was talking about, like the Paris Climate Accords, was baseless because nobody knows what causes climate change. Yeah. That uh, was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> He's awesome. Well, a couple of other
1: things were... Um Discussed during the Putin-Trump.
4: Well, before we get to that, let's just play a clip um, of this was Tillerson after giving kind of a summary, and then we'll get into some of the more some of the other things that they discussed.
2: As to uh, the nature of the two hours and fifteen minutes, uh, first, let me characterize the the meeting was very constructive. The the two leaders, I would say, uh, connected very quickly. Uh, there was a, a very clear positive chemistry between the two. I think, again, and, and I think the positive thing I observed, and, and I've had many, many meetings uh, with President Putin before, uh, is there was not a lot of relitigating of the past. I think both of the leaders feel like there's a lot of things in the past that both of us are unhappy about. We're unhappy, they're unhappy. I think. The, the perspective of both of them was: this is a really important relationship. Two largest nuclear powers in the world. It's a really important relationship. How do we start making this work? How do we live with one another? How do we work with one another? We we simply have to find a way to go forward. And I think that was that was expressed over and over, multiple times. I think by both uh, presidents, this strong desire. It is a very complicated relationship today because there are so many issues on the table. But I think, uh, and one of the reasons it took a long time, I think, is because once they met and and got acquainted with one another fairly quickly, there was so much to talk about. All these issues, uh, just about everything got touched on to one degree or another. And I think there was just such a level of engagement and exchange, neither one of them wanted to stop. Uh, several times I, I had to remind the President people were sticking their heads in the door and I think they even they sent in the First Lady at one point to see if she could get us out of there and uh, that didn't work either. But yes, it's true. But um, but it was uh, well, we went another hour after she came in to see us so, <laughs> so clearly she failed. Um, but uh, I think Yeah, my – what I would describe to you, the two hours and 15 minutes, it was an extraordinarily important meeting. I mean, there's just – there's so much for us to talk about, and it was a good start. Now, I would tell you we spent a very, very lengthy period on Syria uh, with a great amount of detail exchanged on the agreement we had concluded today that was announced, but also where we go and trying to get much greater clarity around How we see this playing out and how Russia sees it playing out. And where do we share a common view and where do we have a difference? And do we have the same objectives in mind? And I would tell you that, by and large, our objectives are exactly the same. How we get there, we each have a view. But there's a lot more commonality to that than there are differences. So we want to build on the commonality, and we spent a lot of time talking about next steps. Uh, and then where there's differences, we have more work to get together and understand maybe they've got the right approach and we've got the wrong approach. Uh, so there was a substantial amount of time spent on Syria, uh, just because it's, we've had so, so much activity going on with it.
0: Did you hear that admission from a U.S. official? Maybe we're wrong on some things. I don't think I've ever heard that laid
3: out, actually said.
0: Well, mm-hmm. no. I agree.
3: It's like I—I I was just hearing the words there of Trump. Oh, Vlad, I wish this night would never end. I could go on forever <laughs> talking to you. But it was very—it was there it was touches of uh, yeah. Old it was very, Donald. very old Donald. It was very warm, you know. Um, recounting of the uh, of of the meeting they had. So, but well, maybe that's T Rex what... was clearly playing it up. I mean,
0: Once yeah. you know it was two hours and
3: fifteen minutes. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> he wants people to know that it was awesome. <laughs> but, that, but that's their best, their best bet against, uh, or the best weapon they have yes. against the, the the attempts by this kind of deep state or whatever or the people behind the scenes in the U.S. To, um, to 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 put a to throw a wedge between to uh, yeah. stick a wedge between between Russia and the U.S. because. By having this uh, kind of history, this track record of of good meeting, good meeting was positive. We liked it, blah blah. Well, then how do you turn around the next day and say we're at war? We are going to we are hate each other. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, it seems that if that if what he said is true, uh, and you know Putin said positive things as well uh, about the meeting, so it suggests that the <clears throat> the attempts by these uh, in intelligence agencies in the U.S. to to stop an agreement or some kind of cooperation, meaningful cooperation between Russia and the U.S., uh, that that they were doing that for very good reasons, that their fears were well-founded, i.e. left to their own devices, Trump and Putin, or America under Trump and Russia under Putin, would basically naturally gravitate towards cooperation. Right.
1: Well, it's interesting because uh, Tillerson went to Moscow a few months ago and, um, you know, the, the, the talk behind it was that he was going to give Moscow an ultimatum on Syria, right? Uh, but a, apparently, uh, you know, he's talking to Lavrov, and then Putin just shows up in the meeting. And it goes on for another few more hours or so. And mm. the, the, the feeling I have is that uh, they worked on him. They, they, they gave rational arguments. They gave information. And they were basically able to do with him what they were able to do, unable to do with Kerry necessarily, and mm-hmm. and that is talk talk some sense into the guy. Mm. And Putin just did it again, I think, on the sidelines of the G20, when Tillerson kind of strayed a little bit and said, you know, we're not sure about Assad. And, and no, he Putin,
4: said they were sure about Assad. They said there's no there. Uh-huh. You know, there's no place for Assad. The international community wouldn't accept it that, uh, right. you know, we we don't know how it'll happen, but when it all, basically when the dust all settles, there's no place in Syria for the Assad regime. So he was unequivocal about that.
1: And so Putin's response to this, setting him straight yet again, is the Syrians decide who yeah.
4: is going <laughs> to be their president. Tillerson isn't a Syrian, so he has no right to say that. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Yeah, there's a little bit of, I think there's a little bit of play acting going on here. I don't think it's that Tillerson needed to be worked on um, or corrected as such. Um, If you remember back to when Tillerson was first uh, rumored to be nominated as Secretary of State, Saturday Night Live pilloried him as big oil friendship with Russia. Oh God, yeah, here's another Vlad Hatchet Man. So that was either an instinctive reaction or a very well-informed one. In other words, people who knew Tillerson in the U.S. deep state could predict where this was going to go, i.e. to where we're at just now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, um, Putin made a point of, of saying in his press conference after meeting Trump that um, just before I think he corrected Tillerson, he made a point of saying that uh, Mr. Tillerson, who we know very well, after all, he has an order of friendship an honorary title, medal, whatever it is, in Russia. So <laughs> uh, they go way back. You know, the CNN and Saturday Night Live were right in highlighting this connection. What's wrong with the For the wrong connection? reasons. Yeah,
3: I know. I mean, the only thing that, that makes any of that bad is this spurious, made-up bullshit claim that, it that, makes- Rus- that Russia hacked our election. That's the only thing that they have that they threw yeah. that they threw into the works and, and everything else is built from that. You know? Uh you know, every any because of that, because of the supposed hacking of the American election by Russia, which didn't obviously happen, um anything about Russia at all is evil, you know, is bad. They destroyed our democracy. It was a really smart move, actually, if you think about it, you know, for them to do that. But um it's not gonna last. It was it's pretty, pretty desperate, I think, and as time gets on, you know. There's the practicalities that have to be <laughs> have to be dealt with. You know, uh, you can you can you can't you can't hang your hat on a yeah. on a spurious claim. Investigations basically. have to come to an end. Right. Is
0: there evidence or not? Right. Exactly. And we've had right. hints
3: with this
1: retraction
0: business. Well, oh, we never said all that. Yeah. Okay. Yes, you did. But anyway. Okay. Fine. You didn't.
3: Yeah. And
1: well, uh, well, one of the elephants in the room of of the discussion between Trump and Putin, and I, I think it was brought out pretty early on was Trump saying basically cuz he had to ask Putin because they had to say that he he would ask this you know what was your role in hacking the US election right so Putin responds as he has been we had no role we didn't do anything
3: I mean, and he said he asked way, for,
1: yeah what's that he asked for evidence yes he asked for evidence well and, that
4: that's interesting because mm-hmm. there were, there were two slightly different accounts from the you know the American side and the Russian side so the on the American side, I think it was Tillerson had had basically given the rundown of it, saying that that uh, Trump twice during the conversation pressed Putin about this, and that uh, Putin, like he has done previously, you know, totally denied it and said, uh, you know, basically you know gave gave his line that, that Russia had nothing to do with it. Lavrov said that uh, Putin said the same thing, but that Trump accepted the uh, Putin's denial. So uh, the Tillerson didn't say anything about Trump accepting the, you know, Putin statement, but you can, Lavrov is probably right. I mean, because we know you can see it whenever Trump talks about it. He's very um, almost wishy-washy about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I accepted that the, the Russians did it. Maybe, but it could have been anybody, mm-hmm. right? So he accepts it right. and then, then then he denies accepting yes, yes, well, it, right? It could be anybody. <laughs> so, but it,
3: it's a really sneaky thing to do in the sense of trying to get, forcing Trump to, you know, Make a statement on that about well, what do you think that you know? Do you believe Russia hacked the elections? Because what he's saying is, and, and actually Putin brought this up at the Saint Petersburg symposium uh, a couple of months ago there to that woman Megan Kelly. Uh, she's is and she know, she's she is now. She oh, is now. NBC now, NBC, and uh, and he said she said, well, Trump uh, Trump admitted that uh, Trump said that he 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 thinks Russia hacked the elections, and Putin said. Are you sure? I didn't hear him actually say that. Are you trying to say that Trump said that we won the, that, that uh, Russia gave him the presidency? Because why, how would, why would Trump ever think it was a good idea to turn around and say, yeah, uh, Russia won me the election? Because that automatically delegitimizes him as a president. What he's saying is, nobody voted for me. The majority of the American public don't, didn't vote for me. He's not going to say that. He's never going to admit that. It's ridiculous to even try. That's the they're trying to get him. But, you know, they tried to get him to say that. I mean, of course, he was smart enough to realize I'm not going to say that. do be so stupid, you know. What, I'm going to admit that I shouldn't be president? You want me to say that? What kind of crackheads are you people? You know? So, uh, but he had to, to some extent, you know, kind of give lip service to it, you know, for whatever reason, you know. Mm-hmm. But as, as you were saying, Harrison, he just basically flip-flops on it. He says one thing and the same breath, he says the, the opposite. Yeah, it probably wasn't. Yeah, it was probably Russia, but it probably wasn't, you know? <laughs> so, uh, anyway, move on. Next question. You know, so... <laughs> yeah. So, well, the other bizarre thing is that you have Nikki Haley, this bizarre kind of like... <clears throat> I don't know. She's like some kind of bizarre like aunt, 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 anti-matter reincarnation of... She's of trying a, to live up to her Samantha hero, Power. Samantha Power. But she today basically said at the UN or recently, I don't know if it was today, but recently uh, somewhere said... Publicly, that everybody knows that Russia hacked the elections. You know, what is that woman? Well, I mean, is she being told to say that? Who does she actually work for? Is Trump? Is the Trump administration playing a kind of double game here? They seem to be to some extent. You know, like I said, giving lip service to all these things that uh, the the media or the deep state or whoever want them to say, but and then doing doing something different. You know,
4: mm-hmm. I think that actually says uh, a lot about what the like the real Trump administration thinks of the UN, because if that's true, then basically they, they're thinking, okay, well let's let's have a you know totally rabid uh, Republican that just says everything that uh, you know the deep state wants to hear, and let's just her right. in the UN where she can't do any real damage and she can say whatever right. she wants. And <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like throwing the deep state or throwing CNN a piece of meat every now and again. You know,
3: saying the stuff they want to hear, and then just going, okay, you happy now? Well, let's shut you up for a week. Okay, good. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, another thing on the the election hacking kind of discussion that went on tillerson had, I, I think they're framing it really well tillerson had basically said that yeah we brought it up and uh there are going to be disagreements and there will always be disagreements but what we're focusing on is moving forward because uh you know we can't you know whatever happened we can't change that but from 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 here going on we're going to change how things are done and we're going to you know um develop from the few fu- in the future and you know of yeah. Looking forward, not looking backwards. So they're framing it in such a way that they can, um, you know, at least tacitly admit that okay, yeah, we think that Russia hacked the elections, but that's that's irrelevant now because we're establishing good relations and it won't make a difference in the future. So and do you know what else he
3: said in that clip? Uh, I don't know if it was in that clip, but Tillerson also said that we mentioned the fact that you know there's stuff that. Uh, uh, Basically, he was saying we didn't want to focus on recriminations, neither of us wanted. To, neither Putin or Trump wanted to focus on recriminations and stuff that had gone on in the past. There's a lot of there's a lot of grievances on both sides. He said there's a lot of stuff they we're not happy about. There's a lot of stuff they're not happy about. So he was, you know, saying, listen, you know, uh, it was a tacit admission that you know <laughs> to, to, to to CNN and the America Firsters and the Exceptional America people is that you know, hey, you know, our our hands aren't clean. And Trump even said that a few months ago as well about. Uh, about um, mm-hmm. when killing he was people. accused, yeah. Right about killing people. people. No,
4: when
3: no, he no, yeah. Yeah, exactly. What do you think? We don't kill people as well. So it's like that kind of just basic bit of uh, rationality and logic and sense. Insight. Well, it's, well, it's not even insight. It's just telling the truth in a certain yeah. sense. You know what I mean? It's just simply saying something that everybody should know, but apparently nobody's allowed to know. You know, nobody's allowed to actually just tell the basic truth and listen. Now how can you turn around? Like it's 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 anti-hypocrisy basically. It's like toning down the hypocrisy. It's someone who has a sense of I don't I don't really feel comfortable being massively hip- hypocritical here by going to the UN like Samantha Power and reeling against you know Assad killing his people and as if you never killed anybody in your entire life. I mean, you know, it's just like a little modicum of decency uh, or integrity in a person. You know, that was completely missing. Uh, in particular, under under
4: Obama for eight years, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that came out of this was this uh, cybersecurity agreement, and we can see this as kind of a moving forward. So apparently, what Trump and Putin decided was to create a kind of joint Russia-U.S. cyber war, cyber warfare working group together in order to um, kind of um, What's the stop word? Stop Russia
3: right?
4: hacking elections. Yeah, stop Russia hacking elections. But but uh, setting up something to to kind of coordinate, you know, what the rules of cyber warfare are, and to to kind of just like leading up to a kind of treaty, um, like there would be with conventional weapons. Now this gets back to something that Putin had said to Oliver Stone in the the, the Putin interviews, the recent uh, Showtime interviews, where Putin had told Stone that years ago Russia had had approached the U S with the idea of creating, uh, or, you know, signing, uh, well, creating and then signing a cyber warfare treaty. So basically establishing the rules of cyber warfare and, um, you know, the, um, just how things would work with this new kind of warfare, because it's totally, you know, unregulated, um, kind of like if you look at conventional weapons and like nuclear weapons, there are treaties and things and kind of international agreements on how things should be done, but there's nothing of the sort for, for cyber warfare. So Putin says that the, the Americans didn't even get back to them on this. They just totally ignored the issue. Now that, uh, now that Russia hasn't hacked the elections, it's interesting because by not hacking the elections, it has created the climate where, um, on the surface in public, it necessitates a kind of, agreement to be reached. Oh, there was a, there's a problem Well, we need to do something about this problem. Well, let's work on cybersecurity together. So now by not hacking the elections, Russia is on the way to kind of getting something they've always wanted because, uh, they've wanted cybersecurity and like this kind of cyber agreement because the U S is the biggest cyber warfare, you know, uh, purveyor on the planet. And, that's really what the issue comes down to is that Russia isn't, you know, the biggest hacker on the planet. It's the U.S. U.S. cyber warfare is probably the most dangerous and prevalent in the world. So by just to repeat myself, by Russia not hacking the election, they're actually getting um, something in the direction of a kind of agreement with the states that would perhaps, um, you know, ideally uh, regulate this kind of, uh, you know, subversive warfare to, to a certain degree. And I think – I think the key thing is monitoring. Yeah. Once monitoring is in place,
0: far less people can do these kinds of things on the sly. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And yeah. And, the, and not just doing things on the sly, but there'll be some monitoring. And like you say, regulation would mean that the things that are already out of control might just be reined in. Mm-hmm. Like we saw with the, the Vault 7 WikiLeaks thing where the, the entire NSA, cyber warfare, hacking kits like, the actual viruses they created are apparently out of control out there.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of it. All of what we're talking about here, these events kind of speak to uh, something that is kind of positive, and it seems to be an awareness on the part of uh, the Trump administration, as representatives of America, that they can't do what they want anymore. That we're entering a new era, where because of the shift in the global kind of power uh, balance or whatever, away from America, from a position of complete dominance to to other major powers, uh, America is realizing that it actually has to engage in negotiations and in an honest way. You know, it actually has to seriously say, there's only one option here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can't dictate terms anymore to everybody and force them under threat of violence to do it or else. that we have to actually engage in dialogue and discussion in a serious and honest way and actually stick to it because the alternative is war. Now, of course, you have this war party or this war deep state in the, in the U.S. Who, who, who don't see it that way, who say, you know, uh, there can be no falling away of American hegemony and we have to do whatever is necessary to maintain our position on, on the top of the pile where we can dictate terms to everybody. And that's up to and including, you know, all sorts of uh, acts of violence and, and, and setting fire to places just to, uh, and ultimately those people would, would destroy the world, you know. Um, so, despite what people think, and, this, and with the caveat that we don't think, you know, America is, uh, has, has, has changed radically for the better in, in that sense, but um, it is that the Trump administration does seem to be a change for the better. Uh, in, that, in that respect, and in the context of the war being in a pretty terrible state already.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, two things. Um, one, just a minor development that also came out of the, uh, the talks was that um, Tillerson and Trump uh, created a special U.S. envoy uh, to Ukraine um, and again, Tillerson gives credit to Putin. He says, as as per you know, the Russian suggestion, as per Putin's suggestion, we're we're going to you know make some show of being a little more engaged with the developments in Ukraine by establishing this new envoy. Which um, you know, and and Putin was very smart. He he knows that talking to Angela Merkel about Minsk two and and really. Um, putting any kind of pressure on Kiev to, to uh, implement the agreements made in Minsk 2 are fruitless after two years of this. Uh, so he is at least in part saying to the Americans, Hey, you're the real, you guys help call the shots here. Uh, Poroshenko did come with his hat in his hand to, uh, to Trump about a month ago, um, asking for support. Uh, in that uh, unofficial meeting that they had. Um, so anyway, we have this third little thing. But just getting back for a moment to what you said, Joe, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's Trump. It's probably going to be his finest moment, or one of them, uh, in his presidency. And uh, unfortunately, what seems to be the case is uh, this deep state that he's fighting uh, is probably going to, in in their usual way, respond to this uh, this this moment um, in some kind of devious and crude manner uh, mm-hmm. yeah, to try and undercut that. things. Yeah, uh, it, it's just like a mathematical formula. Uh, okay, now we have to now we really have to get some kind of false flag going in Syria, or some other um, create some other fracture. Uh, to damage whatever accomplishment Trump.
0: And I would Putin. suggest I would suggest that they have one already up and running situation in North Korea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean that's um it's sort of competing with the G twenty and other things like Syria for being the hotspot that could trigger Armageddon and all that. Um I think it's interesting that that this just came out. I mean, it pretty much reflared only a few months ago, um, even though North Korea has been an unended war since 1950. I can't remember. Um, 53. So, yeah, I think, I think they're going to try and, I mean, but the thing is, what's confusing about that situation is that Trump is every bit as warmonger like in his statements. About North Korea, as you know, you'd imagine the deep state trying to undercut them would be.
3: So, well, that's leverage, you know. I mean, there's a lot of bluff and bluster, uh, like we've said before in the show. But 50 percent of American and a lot of other countries' foreign policies, but particularly America, but 50 of their power uh, in terms of uh, projecting their power and influencing other countries is is propaganda, is what they say in the words that they say, you know, and very often. Uh, you can achieve what you want without uh, firing a shot by just d- using the right words and the right intimidations and threats and they obviously try that uh, that's the first port of call basically is to is to saber rattle and all that kind of stuff and that by no means means that they <clears throat> have any intention of actually doing anything about it and I think in, in the context of North Korea they really realize that they can't do anything about it because China has been pretty clear that there's uh, there's going to be no there's no option for any kind of an attack on or invasion or anything of North Korea, uh, and Russia has also said that you know it has to be resolved diplomatically. There's no other option. So, um, uh, how the deep state would <clears throat> you know organize something like that? I, I don't know. You know, um, provocations really only work as a gift to uh, a president or a you know uh, a government in power that is eager and willing and ready to launch a war that just becomes, they get offered the causes belly or the, the you know, like the, the sexed up dossier or the Iraq's WMDs that was just offered to them, you know, or 9-11 was offered as a reason to project American power around the world, you know, and they they were ready and willing and able to go for it. They had already written papers on why they needed to do what they did after 9-11 and all they needed was 9-11. So these things are offered to governments to uh, to give them, to, to fulfill or to put into practice, put into or to implement the, uh, an already established policy of, of warmongering. Now it seems to me that that kind of attitude doesn't exist necessarily in the, in the Trump administration. And then you get into the question of well, who controls the military, and can anybody, you know, is it possible there's someone somewhere who can, you know, order the military to go to war basically against the administration's uh, wishes and stuff? And I don't, I don't think we've, we've seen that yet. That would be, that would be a new one, you know. So yeah, the, it's a problem for these these kind of deep state, state actors and their and their provocations because unless you've got an administration that is, is clueless, either clueless to them and really believes the provocation and believes the lie that you know like uh, they use chemical weapons, or if you <clears throat> have an administration who's, who who wants to go to war, uh, unless you've got those two things or one of other of those two things, then uh, your your provocations aren't really very useful, uh, you know. And um, <clears throat> we've seen a little uh, hint uh, from the Trump administration that they're not really interested in taking that kind of bait, you know, with, uh, <clears throat> although they've been kind of flip-flopping a little bit, but you can put a lot of it down to bluff bluff, and bluster and, and the kind of propaganda effect, you know, um, in in terms of what they did after the first alleged provocation back in April of the chemical weapons, uh, alleged chemical weapons use in, in Syria. Uh, and the response by the Trump administration was to, was to engage in a bit of a, a firework show and then say, okay, moving on, you know. Um, and then this thing about, you know, <laughs> like we were saying last week about the, uh, uh, the you know, Matt is saying that, um, oh, Sad's going to do another chemical weapons uh, thingy according to our intelligence computer. <clears throat> And then, oh, he didn't do it. Oh, he must have hurt us. Oh, aren't we so great? That's all like very good intelligence. Even, what is that even for? Like, you know, why did he even say that? He just looks stupid, you know, and nobody's buying it, you know. And you can only use that chemical weapons thing so often, you know, uh, before people, especially when you have the response from Russia in particular saying calling it out is bullshit. And if you don't act on it, well, you know, you really you're not you're not um you can't go very far with that. You can't do it again and again, you know. So uh we'll have to see where it goes, but I don't know. We've got another four years of three and a half years of uh of El Donaldo versus the deep state versus Russia versus China versus North Korea versus Europe versus Perphidious no, Albion. It might be another seven and a half years. Oh yeah. Well, here's hoping, Harrison. Four more years. Not or, or, my president. Four more years not my president, Trump.
1: Or it might be less than four years. Ooh. Or it might be 12
3: years. <gasps> is there, is there a constitutional Trump for, bar? Trump for president forever. Yeah. When he's like 90.
0: <laughs> four more years. No, then it'll be our first woman president, Ivanka Trump
3: yeah uh, yes. He's grooming her obviously by putting her in front of all these uh, these meetings
2: and stand ins yes. for
3: him, you know. Yeah, he, he he's probably he probably has an idea of, you know, a man could be far better than Hillary. They want a woman, I got one. <laughs> she happens to be my daughter. So long as he doesn't call her
0: a hot piece
3: of Yeah, whatever. Again. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Well, whatever. You know the world's in a lot worse. There's a lot worse things in the world than Cross kind of male, kind of sexist comments like that, you know, and um, people shouldn't get their knickers in a twist about them. There's far more important things to be dealt with, far worse things going on. Um, all right. I think we'll call it a night there, guys, will we? Yeah.
4: Sure. Yeah.
3: I'm 20 G- ed out. You're 20 ed out. I'm seeing you out. All right. Out. <laughs> all right I'm twumped. <laughs> i'm putting this one to bed
0: oh that was good
3: all right play us out there
4: all right see you all next week everyone take care everyone. yeah thanks
3: for listening guys have a good evening talk to you next time see you next week bye everyone